Awesome. Thanks for all of that. I heard Friday night the teens, when they met, that one of the teens led the lesson. And one shared as well. So we had Caleb actually teach. So I was quite nervous because I think he's gunning for my job. And then I heard Karen did a little bit afterwards as well. That's awesome. Our teenagers are preaching the word. That's very cool. Also, just some quick welcomes to people from our sister churches. One is Eugene. Here she is. If you could stand up, please, Eugene. That way we just know who you are. Just so you know, that's Gillen's girlfriend. That's why he was like, hey, can I lead a song this morning? <laughs> Showing my skills. Nunchuck skills. That's awesome. And we also have Jono from Perth who was baptized in November. Good to see you. And his friend is with him as well, John. So you got Jono and John. By the way, we have about nine Johns here this morning, just to add to it. And then if I didn't mention it, Brent is in Perth for one year, but he lives in the U.S. and heads back within the next month or so. So could you stand up, Brent, just so we see your face as well, bro? Awesome. Very cool. So we also want to take a moment to pray for the Watsons, John and May. Currently, they're on their way to the hospital. Uh, there's some possible complications with May's pregnancy. So we want to pray for the health of the baby and that God works through the doctors. So if we could just take a moment to do that before we dive in. God, we do come to you in prayer as a, as a family, a spiritual family this morning to ask that you'll be with John and May as they're on the way to the hospital. And we pray that um, you'll work through the doctors and whoever tends to them to sort everything out. And also we pray that we can be a great source of comfort to them during this time, God. We pray for healing and uh, that your hand is with them and that everything will sort out. Father, we know that you're sovereign and can take care of all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn over to Galatians chapter 2. And that's where we'll be continue our study of the book of Galatians this morning. And just to help you understand some of the concepts, when you see the sky tower from a distance, it seems small. So if, if you're out west, say, or wherever you are, if you, you look at the sky tower, it seems a bit small. But we all understand that that's simply a matter of perspective. It's not actually that small. The closer you get to it, the bigger it actually appears, right? There's a similar truth that happens with our perspectives. It's likely that we don't have the most accurate perspective of our own self, right? Until we get closer to an eternal or an essential truth. For instance, if you or me or any of us compare ourselves to ISIS, we might walk away feeling pretty good. Because that's not the eternal point of reference. However, in contrast, if we compare ourselves to Mother Teresa, we might feel pretty bad, right? But just like with the Sky Tower, once you get close to it, and you see that it's actually 220 meters tall, you see the reality of the situation, you see the realness, you actually see the truth, and you understand, I'm actually really small compared to the sky tower. And similarly, the closer you get to an eternal truth, the more accurately you see yourself. The perspective becomes clearer. You might think you're good, but the closer you get to an eternal truth, you realize I'm actually not that good. Once you see how God truly is, you might see it's worse than you thought. 
And you might even see you need help from an eternal God. These are the ideas we'll examine this morning as we read from the book of Galatians. Let's pray together and then we'll read starting in Galatians chapter 2 in verse 11. God, we're grateful to come again in prayer. We, we pray that as we read your words, which have been written thousands and thousands of years ago, that they still inspire us today and guide us to eternal truth that we can live out here in our lives as a church and in this city. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's, that's just a great way to start church, isn't it? But we, we are fortunate enough to have some actual footage of, of this encounter, right. even though it happened many, many years ago. So we're, we're fortunate enough to have what happened. Now, many of you might know... <laughs> On the left, that's our brother Paul Stoneman, who's currently in Wellington. And on the right, that's our brother Peter Nesbitt, who's currently here. And so we actually have footage that, you know, Pete said, hey, is this okay to wear to church? That seems like what happened. And Paul just came and said, you're out of line, bro. I'm going to oppose you to your face. That's actual footage, by the way, of of what, what happened here in verse 11. In verse 12, oh, you know what? Our, our singles in uni are back as well. They, they took a trip to Rotorua the other week. That was awesome. They had the first two rows, they were away and, and having a good spiritual time away. And they had a, a spiritual retreat, but you also rode the luge, didn't you? Yeah, that was cool. And since you weren't here last week at church, you're all losers. <laughs> came to me right then all right let's start over guys all right verse 11 from the bible when cephas came to antioch i opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from james he used to eat with the gentiles but when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group the other jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. The reason why that's important, Barnabas is Paul's young protege. He's saying, even my man, even my boy was led astray by their actions. In verse 14, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Often, when there's conflict, it can be settled privately. In fact, most often, that's how it should be settled. But when there is public error being taught, there is to be public correction. And that's what Paul does here to Peter. In verse 15, he continues, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, 
we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? That's the argument of the Jewish mindset. They say, if we find out because we can't do this thing that we're actually sinful, that means God promotes sin. That was kind of their argument. He says, absolutely not. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that ends our passage. The whole scene here is helpful to understand so we can really mine out the truths of this passage. Because what's going on here is there's a clash of two cultures. I mean, that happens today as well. It's two systems of thought. It's two mentalities. Or even more frankly, it's two theological systems. Jewish and Gentile. Those are, those are the two cultures, those are the two mindsets, those are the two different systems. Now, in the early church, it was entirely Jewish. That's Acts chapter 2, there's about 3,000 people baptized, and from Acts chapter 2 until around 8 or 9, the church is entirely Jewish. And so their frame of mind, their thought still, to some degree, remains Jewish. And Peter, who appears in this text, is also kind of the apostle to the Jews. He's teaching the Jews. He's instructing the Jews. However, in about Acts chapter 8 or somewhere around there, the church starts getting persecuted. And because of this persecution, people start to scatter And wherever they go, they still preach the gospel, which is kind of a side note that it doesn't matter who's leading or not leading. You're still supposed to preach the gospel wherever you go. But what happens is they start to scatter to different cities. Some go to Phoenicia, some go to Cyprus, and some go to Antioch. And in the city of Antioch, what's new is they don't just talk to Jews. They talk to Jews and Gentiles. As a result, Jews and Gentiles become part of the church in Antioch. So it's the first kind of multicultural church. It's the clashing of two cultures, the clashing of two systems, the clashing of two mentalities. And so what happens in Antioch is you have these different backgrounds. And guess what? It's bound to create conflict. (laughs) Right? I know you've experienced that today. If you've encountered another culture, you've experienced some kind of conflict. But through this conflict, God speaks to Paul. Paul writes down this passage, and we actually learn some things about the truth of the gospel. We'll look at three points this morning. First of all, no one is good. Nobody is good. Secondly, we all fall And thirdly, we need the gospel. First of all, no one is good. Keep in mind the perspective. As you get closer to truth, you see God and you see yourself more accurately. In this passage, the Jewish mindset is revealed in verse 17. We who are Jews, or not 17, it's verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. And so this is what Paul is saying. We are Jews by birth. We're not those type of people. We're not sinful Gentiles. In the mind of a Jew, they were privileged. Why? Because they said, God spoke to us. God gave us the law. We follow the law. That means we're good. 
And so when that kind of attitude got steeped into their mindset, they started to look down on the Gentiles who had not received the law, who had not followed the law, and who had not had the revelation from God. Now, hopefully you have not experienced that kind of Christian arrogance, right? But that's what's happening in the mindset of the Jew. God spoke to us. We have the law. We follow it. We're good. You're sinful Gentiles. That's the mindset going on in the Jews. And in addition to that, they said, because of our birth, that's who we are. And because of your birth, Gentiles, you're just sinners. So there's the good people and the bad people. We're good. You're bad. And in Antioch, if you imagine when Jews and Gentiles come to church together, now you got this Jew who's all the while thought, God spoke to me, God spoke to me. And in comes a Gentile. And he's like, <laughs> obviously God has never spoke to you. You've never had the law. There's a clash of this. And it was bound to create some type of conflict. And in Antioch, what happened is at church, they used to just eat together. At church, kind of like we do afterwards or whenever we have meals. And, but after men from James came, that's what the Bible says. So some people come to Antioch. And after that, a separation started to happen. Now imagine if we come to church on a Sunday morning. We're quite integrated at the moment. But if for the sake of an exercise I said, well, why don't, why don't we just have all the Filipinos and South Africans sit on this side? Why don't we have all the Kiwis on this side? Why don't we have all the... Pardon? There won't be anybody. There won't be anybody left. No, we'll have the Filipinos in front so they can see. But we'll have everybody else... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the behaviors revealed their mindset, though. Because it, it, initially they said, it's all good. We can eat together. But something clicked. Something made Peter afraid after he was influenced from these guys. And they said, hey, what are, what are you doing eating with those Gentiles? They, they need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You shouldn't even eat with them. And Peter kind of thinks about it and says, that, that's a good point. And he starts separating himself. Other brothers start separating themselves. And Barnabas even does it too. And so now the church is split. But it's all kind of centrally based on this idea that Jews think we're good. We're better than you. And this conflict will carry on until Acts chapter 15 where they meet and they talk about it. But through this conflict, Paul is, is revealed by God the, the kind of mindset that says, you know what? Whatever we do or don't do, or whatever the law helped us do, that didn't make us equal standing with God. That's kind of the insight he has in verse 17. If seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. So in other words, when we try to live out the law, we can't because the standard is too high. It shows we're sinful. So actually, we're not as good as we think we are. And the only reason we're good is because of Christ. That's his insight. That's his mentality. When you come to Jesus, you understand that the good person I thought I was wasn't as good as I thought I was. That's Paul's insight as he's thinking about this conflict. I mean, it's very similar today in our clashing of cultures. When they collide, some might think, oh, Americans are so loud. But that's not true at all. <laughs> <laughs> she patted Tyson. <laughs> you know, 
if, if only Americans were more soft and, and, you know, that's kind of a typical... Do I know that guy? <laughs> That's kind of a you know typical stereotype. Oh man, if only they weren't as loud. Or on the other end of the spectrum, if I said, man, if Kiwis only use the imperial measuring system, it just makes so much more sense. Or maybe it wouldn't. In any case, at some level, the things we do, at some point we think equal, we're better than people. And if you really reflected and meditated on it, the truth is, that's, that's the basis of all kind of racism. That's the basis of all kind of issues throughout the world. It's this perspective, it's this puffed up arrogance that says, the way I do things is clearly right, and the way you do them is clearly wrong. I'm good, you're bad. That's kind of the root at it. And that's what Paul is driving at here. And Paul is saying, no, you, you know what? Actually, that very perception, you think you're better than somebody else, is pretty bad. The truth is, you're worse than you think. So how does this apply to our lives? Well, a lot of the times, here's what a teenager mentality might say, or think, or believe. I need to be bad before I can become a Christian. Right? I need to have a story so I can get up and say something like, before I became a Christian, I joined a gang, I used drugs, and I robbed a few banks, and I shot people. But I became a Christian. Like, whoa, man, it's awesome. But the, the reason you, you think that is you think, at least, you know, those people are really bad. I'm, I'm kind of good. Yeah. I'm a little bit good. But the very fact that you think that shows you're arrogant. Yeah. That's the deal. That's, that's, that's Paul's thinking here, right? As an adult, you might say, uh, I saved animals and I gave them to the SPCA. I've donated blood. I've never been in a gang or used drugs or robbed banks. I'm pretty good. Right? But still, the fact that you're comparing yourself to someone and looking down shows there's an arrogance in there. Either way, we're all trapped. No one is good. No one is good. That's Paul's point. In the end, when we compare ourselves to the sky tower and we see, oh, the reality is I'm really not that good, we find out the truth about ourselves. That's what Paul is saying here to the Jews in Antioch. Secondly, we all fall. All of us. Peter, the pillar apostle, the church leader in Jerusalem, caved in in this situation. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. He walked on water. But here he caves in and he doesn't hold his ground. He knew better, though. This wasn't an honest mistake. You know, sometimes we sin and we, oh, we didn't know, so we need some correction. But sometimes we blatantly do things we know are wrong. That's what Peter's doing. How do we know that? Well, earlier in the book of Acts, Peter has this encounter. He has a vision from God. God says, go to this Gentile's house and have a chat with him. Remember, the mind of a Jew says, uh, Gentiles are bad. I can't do that. But he does. He ends up going to the house of this Gentile named Cornelius, and he tells them, you all are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. That's kind of his opening speech as he goes to this Gentile's house. But he says, I got a vision from God, so here I am. What do you guys want to talk about? Peter preaches a lesson. The Holy Spirit comes on and fills all of them. Peter's like, whoa, something just happened to Gentiles. What happened? 
The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So they come and they're like, man, look, God's working not just in the Jewish lives. He's working in Gentile lives. Those bad guys. He's working there as well. So Peter kind of uses this incident as a a realization. And he, he realizes it's true that God doesn't show favoritism. Both Jew and Gentile need God and God saves both of them. Now, when the church hears about this, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. That's their criticism. But he he turns back and says, hey, let me tell you the story. I went there. God worked. It's all good. God doesn't show favoritism. We're not better than them. It's all level playing field. I ate with them. I fellowshiped with them. I have a conviction now that everybody's on the same page. That was Peter's conviction. That's what he arrived at. I can fellowship with the Gentile. I can break bread with them. That was his conviction. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, even to the Gentiles... God granted repentance that leads to life. Everybody hears it. They get fired up. Hey, God's accepting Gentiles too. That's awesome. But when Peter comes to Antioch, he changes his mind. And he goes back to his old ways. Now, the point of that is it happens to the best of us, right? It happens to the best. The moment you walk into a spider web and suddenly turn into a karate master, it happens to the best of us. All of us have experienced that. That phrase is kind of a, hey, you know what? Even the, even the best of people had bad things happen. That's the phrase that, that you've probably said it or used it. If not, it's a phrase I often use because I think it's appropriate to almost anything. Right? Yeah, I woke up late. Hey, bro, it happens to the best of us. You know? I have a bad hair day. Hey, you know what? That happens to the best of us. I lost in basketball today to the West. Hey, bro, that happens to the West of it. The West of us. <laughs> happens to the best of us. You know what? But that does happen to the best of us. We all fall. We all do. Even Peter. Even Barnabas. Even all of these guys that had this conviction suddenly dropped their conviction and caved in. How does this apply? Well, no one is above falling, okay? No one is above falling. Even when you get hot in a jacket, it happens to the best of us. I'm going to take it off. This... <laughs> Even when you have arrived at a conviction like Peter. He said Jew, Jews and Gentiles, they worship together. He arrived at this conviction, but he still caved in. Even when you have a deep-rooted conviction, given the right set of circumstances, given the right amount of pressure, given the right context, and the right time, you can cave in. You can fall. I've heard this kind of mantra mentioned sometimes who kind of overinflate their own spirituality. I'll never be immoral. Now, I think we understand what they're trying to say, right? Like they have such a deep conviction. But you got to be careful. Because yeah. Peter, the apostle that lead the church, false. And, and we've seen in evangelical Christianity, heaps and heaps of leaders fall. Yeah. Because they think they can. I'll never do that to my family. I won't hurt my family. Hey, be careful. We all can fall. I'll never engage in shady practices at work. 
Because I have a conviction. Hey, be careful. Because we all fall. I'll never stop attending church. Be careful. We'll all fall. I'll never walk away from God. Be Fill in the blank. We all fall. We have a tendency to underestimate the amount of evil we're capable of. And the only way we're able to be saved is we all need the gospel. The takeaway is we all need to humbly recognize some of those things are outside of our control. And, and, but we need the gospel to rescue us because we're not good and we all fall. We all have a tendency to fall. Third and lastly, we need the gospel. Paul uses this incident to make that point really clear. In verse 15, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So too, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. All that theological terminology basically just means even your good stuff isn't good. The only way you're saved is because of the blood of Jesus and your faith in God. And he says the Jews came to a conclusion. They tried to follow the law. They tried to be good, but they couldn't. And the only thing that could save them was the gospel. And that's what Paul points to in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're not good enough. Someone has to die in your place. And that's what Paul said. We, no one could ever achieve this, but Jesus did it for us. And he continues in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Again and again, no matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, if you think you're good, if you think you're bad, we all need the gospel. And only that makes you right with God. Not how many times you read your Bible or pray or come to church or sing a song or whatever spiritual activity you want to chalk up. It's only through faith and grace. That's what Paul said. We can't go back and say the Gentiles need to be circumcised because that's going backwards. Jesus accomplished everything. And the reason why this is so powerful is Christianity is the only religion on the planet where grace is fully and freely given. Every other religion is merit-based. You do this and you get something good. You don't do that, you get something bad. Christianity says, I'll give you Jesus up front, dying for you. Christianity has the only figure, the God-man, willing to die for everyone. No other religion has that. And we see that illustrated in Jesus. And, and this, this concept about meeting with different cultures and interacting with different people is demonstrated in Jesus. He was referred to as a man who ate with tax collectors and sinners. Everybody was so uptight that Jesus went and ate with everybody. Because everybody needed the gospel. He didn't just say, I'm going I'm to eat with the Jews or I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles. You can't even see Jesus in this picture because he's mingled in with everybody. And that's what he did. He came in his ministry. That's why it was so powerful. But that's why also people reacted. 
Why is he eating with those people? You know, Peter should have remembered this because this was kind of a stamp of Jesus' ministry. Him eating with different kind of people. But he was showing, hey, everybody's on equal footing now. Everybody needs the gospel. I will break bread with everyone. Somehow, Peter forgot. This applies to our life as well. Because of this realization, you or I or we can't try to achieve good on our own. We desperately, desperately need the gospel. At the same time, we need to walk in line with the truth of the gospel. That's what verse 14 says. That's why Paul was so uptight when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas in front of the ball, you're not walking right. And, the, and that's the only way we can is when God helps us. We've tried it on our own. It doesn't work. It gives us the strength and the ability to stand firm. If, if you're not a disciple or if you're not a Christian and you wonder what is this all about, consider this this week. I just want you to think from an outside source, consider yourself from an outside perspective and say, am I as good as I really think I am? If I compared, if there is a God and if there is an eternal truth and I compared myself to that, what would it look like? It's an interesting starting point. And I'm not saying you have to believe the Bible or God or anything. I'm just saying start with, with, with the possibility that if there is an eternal truth, try to compare yourself and see how you come away. And, and perhaps you'll say, man, I'm not good. I, I always, I, I need some outside source to help me. If you are a disciple, I ask you to keep growing with this knowledge. The older you become a disciple, there could be a temptation to do more stuff, and that equals being more spiritual. The key to Christian growth is understanding this at a much deeper level. Understanding how this gospel message impacts my life as a husband, as a father, as a church leader. Any role you have, all of this impacts the way you live. The more you understand this, it propels you to live. You don't try to live harder just simply for the sake of living harder. You understand you need the gospel and it produces a lifestyle. We all need divine perspective. We all see the sky tower from a distance and think, it doesn't look that tall. However, the closer we get to it, we realize it's 220 meters and I'm only one point whatever meters. And we see the reality of the situation, similar for the Bible. The closer we get to God, we see no one is good. We're all on level playing field. We all fall, but we all need the gospel. This week, be reminded you need the gospel and others need the gospel as well. Amen. Amen.